Great drinks and great sushi at Stevenson's Bar in Kauai. In, right? Yeah, Poi Poots, right in the uh, right in the right off the lobby at the Grand Hyatt Resort. Okay. Okay, yeah, well, you go. we're not there till November. We're just going to see if we can enjoy summer here. So, <laughs> I'll be it, ready with some tips. Yeah, I know you will. Well, all right, summer is here, and we need to get this show on the road. We hope all of our media insultant uh, fans had a fabulous Memorial Day weekend. You know, Memorial Day weekend used to. I used to follow the Indy Five Hundred when I was a kid, and it was mm-hmm. so much fun until the STP guys came along and they ran. A turbine-powered car, Andy Granatelli's STP special, and they wiped yeah, I everything. That. I remember off, that very well. Wiped everything off the track with it, and USAC, the governing organization, came along and said, "Oh God, we can't have that!" So they banned it. So a technological advance that was banned by USAC because all the other teams were, you know, were screwed if this uh, turbine-powered car came along. So I stopped watching the. I didn't. I didn't stop watching, and I would became a great Andy Granatelli fan. Even met Andy Granatelli and Mario Andretti at the 1970 Indianapolis 500. Wow! Um, and uh, yeah, um, so I, that was. I've, I've only been once, and it is the greatest spectacle in racing. And I am a big fan. And uh, but the the fun part about that turbine car because this was after the turbine cars they'd been banned by the time I, I got to go to the track. Sure. But, sure. Um, was they were quiet. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a vacuum cleaner going around the track. It just drove everybody crazy. They couldn't hear it. <laughs> Sneak so. up on you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it does explain why for my birthday you sent me a case of STP, so thank you. Now you I understand heard, heard, the, the fascination with Andy Grandicelli. All right. Yeah, and, and everybody everybody was rooting for Mario Andretti that year because he had won in 1969, okay? And... In 1970, he did not win. Al Unser Jr. won in 1970. He'll never forget that. And Mario never won again. And oh. in fact, none of his kids or nephews, no Andretti, has won Indianapolis 500 since 1969. Amazing. I, what, well, no, what's amazing is that you know that. That's what's amazing. Well, just you're, amazing. I'm just a fan. Yeah, you're just you uh, filled with all kinds of interesting trivia, as I've learned to to, over the years we've been doing Media Insultant. Most of it useless and of no value whatsoever, but very interesting trivia. All right, we got to get the show on the road. We're, today we're going to take a look on Media Insultant, a serious look at the Odyssey delisting. It's more than just taking them off the New York Stock Exchange. Okay. Uh, you know, the NAB is guilty of calling in the government for salvation for AM radio, as radio on the AM band continues to static and fade away and we ask is that the right thing to do okay so that's what we got lined up for this morning and we would like to welcome you back to another edition of media insultant keith samuels is down in southern california my co-host i'm jackson weaver in the seattle area and without commercial interruption today unfortunately because we could (laughs) use a couple of bucks on this show we welcome you to the wednesday may 31st episode of media insultant You know, I was listening to an Odyssey station this weekend, and they promoted the Odyssey app. You know, get the Odyssey app. And I'll tell you, they've been Odyssey, spelled with an A, for how long? Two years? Three years now? Yeah, a couple years. A couple couple years. years. 
And honest to God, and I'm in the business, and I know the the company, and when they speak it on the radio, my head goes to the word Odyssey, O-D-Y, etc. I just, um, you know, it's one of the poorest, it's one of the biggest branding mistakes ever made. Now, I I don't want to kick anybody when they're down, and we've got a lot of friends at Odyssey stations around the country. Odyssey, of course, is the former Intercom, uh, the former CBS radio, sadly. It's a sad debacle, and it continues. And today, Keith, I just thought we could discuss it a little bit. They were delisted last week, and that's been long predicted. I mean, it's not like, duh, you know, that's a great idea. What did you say? You said the stock was trading at $0.06 when they delisted? Yeah, on Friday, I think uh, uh, May 19th, uh, it was at $0.06. It closed at $0.06. So, um, you know, the problem is that they've been under a dollar for over a year. And, and that's something that, that falls out of compliance with the basic standards, I guess, of the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and they give you a lot of rope to be able to get that back over a dollar again. And that's the sad thing is because when, when Odyssey bought CBS, their stock was trading over $16 a share. Right. So they, right. they buy CBS, they, they merge the companies, they, you know, the, David Field and his team take over management of all the CBS radio group. It's just been a slow, methodical decline in uh, in performance, not only uh, from a revenue standpoint, but also from a stock standpoint. And that, now this puts them into real issues because the now even even they raised it on their on their um, uh, analyst call when they reported their first quarter earnings a, a couple of weeks ago that that they're in danger of not being a going concern. And so, what does a going concern means? Uh, that you can, you know. Pay your bills. Pay your bills, yeah. yeah well, they, they can pay their bills, but they can't pay their bills and service the debt, you know, the debt interest. And that, right. that is, that, that's, that's exactly it. I think, you know, I guess anybody can go back and second guess it. Did, do you think buying CBS was a mistake on their part? In the end, yes. I think initially it, was, it, was, it could have been a really good deal. But uh, Les Moonves piled a bunch of debt onto the CBS radio group. And that was part of the deal. And, uh, and frankly, I think uh, David Field should have walked away at that point. Uh, well, he had, to, he, had to, he had to pay for it some way. So what, what he did, what Fields did, is he assumed the debt that CBS had piled on it. He had to buy it. He had to pay for it some way. So he right. either would have had to take the, the debt directly himself. And there was something that had to do with taxes. And, I, you know, I don't know anything about the tax law. But there was something to do with taxes for CBS, where they they had an advantageous situation with that. But could Odyssey, Intercom, have done a better job of managing the CBS stations? I guess that's my question. Uh, well, you know, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I think uh, that was everyone's concern. Was uh, there was a lot of discussion as this deal was put being put together and, and being consummated about how much better. Uh, and the intercom management team was going to do in managing the CBS group, which was uh, apparently labeled as, you know, they, they, they were overpaying their managers, they were overpaying their people, they weren't investing in their properties, they were kind of, you know, kind of playing not to lose, not playing to win, you know, all this stuff that was going on, you know, and we read, we read about this all the time. We're going to, we're going to come in and take their performance to the next level. Level, yeah, right, right. Well, and it turns out that, the CBS folks were doing a pretty good, dar- pretty darn good job running those stations and those and that group. Now, could there have been cost savings? Could they have been updated? Could they have been, 
improved? Sure, every group could, but it didn't happen that way. And it hasn't well, happened that way. Yeah, and I think I think the thing that I, I'm, I would be most critical of David Field on, on one thing. I think he failed in some way to understand that all the financial things were fine. What wasn't fine was culture. Putting the cultures together was a train wreck. And you're right, CBS had been run, uh, I wouldn't say sloppily, but, you know, the stations had been paid for for 50, 60 years. You know, they were, you know, they had a lot of cash, they had a lot of cash flow. And when you're fat and happy like that, you know, you do tend to just kind of cruise along and enjoy life. You can't complain. They made plenty of money for CBS. And David saw an opportunity to to make it a, a more refined operation. But at the end of the day, I think they somehow failed to really understand how tough the blending of cultures would be. And as a result, you know, they lost key people. They pissed off their own people. You know, it just, there, there, was, there were no winners, no winners in that mm-hmm. merger. It's just, it's really been, been a shame. Now, the, the thing that uh, is also in this, you know, just from a financial standpoint is, you know, they're going to do a reverse split. I don't know if the New York Stock Exchange cares at this point, but they're going to do a reverse split in the hope of getting their shares back up to a buck fifty or two bucks. But of course, that doesn't do anything to resolve the core issues. And as I understand it, and as you and I have talked about it, they've got a six hundred and thirty odd million dollar loan that comes due next year. Mm-hmm. And the the problem is that's <laughs> that's a real Damocles sword because. They don't have six hundred and fifty million dollars. Well, yeah, and interest rates aren't what they were, you know, a, a few Precise. years ago. So if they if they want to refi and re you know rework the loan, it's going to be even more expensive, you know. And and I think the other issue here too is that there are a lot of of Odyssey clusters that were CBS or now that are CBS and Odyssey Intercom combined that perform really well. I mean, they've got some. You know, strong clusters in in really good markets. In, they do. They you know, do. your friend Jack Hutchison runs a great cluster in Seattle. He also happens to run Portland, and um, which doesn't do too bad either. But I mean, you know, you got Seattle. You got Jeff Fetterman running the LA cluster here, which does does really well. Uh, you've got New York, Chicago. You know, you've, you've got Philadelphia. Uh, you know, it, it's kind they of like Boston. How do you, how, Boston. Yeah, yeah. The I list mean, goes on. How do you screw this up? You know, and 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 you know, part of it too is that I I don't think we need to I don't think we should um, overlook the valuable role that the great Wheezy Kramer played in running Entercom for David Field. Uh, you know, Wheezy was is is a great talent, but Wheezy apparently with some health issues and you know probably you know exhaustion from running all these stations, you know, kind of. Faded out, and and you know, I think she's on the board. She is on the board, yeah, yeah, and, and so she's an advisor role. But I think you know, losing Wheezy in a hands-on managerial role also affected them. Susan Larkin, you know, solid market manager, good talent, but not a Wheezy. And so you know, it's kind of like how do you replace someone that's been so critical? And I don't know that they've done that. And then you you know it's so I, I think that there's you know some managerial stuff that that could have been better, financial stuff they're they're never they they were set up to fail I think financially because of this deal, and timing has a lot to do with the outcome of a rain dance as they used to say, and timing of this deal, you know just 
probably was not the right time to do this deal. You know, I love probably, that. I've never heard that before. Timing has everything to do with a successful rain dance. Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, timing has a lot to do with the success of a rain dance. Okay, so if you're going to do a rain dance, make sure there's a few clouds coming in. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a tough one for them, and I, I don't know. I don't know how well you know Jerry Del Caliano and other financial whizzes. You know, have figured out what the end game here is, and it's similar to what the, what happened at Cumulus, where the lenders take over, take out the bondholders, and they need somebody to run the company, and that'll be David Field, and because he's been running it. You know, we've seen this movie before. It's just sad that we have to go see it again. You know, we have to live through it again because haven't we learned our lesson? Well, no, and it's too late for that. I think, you know, just just to be specific, let's back up a second. We talked about they've got a $630 million loan that comes due next year. But on top of that, they got over a billion dollars in bonds that come due in 27 and 29. Now, Del Caliano, to your point, uh, thinks that that's good reason that they're setting up the bondholders to default and wipe out that obligation. But as I understand it, actually, the bondholders would now become the equity holders in the company. The stockholders are screwed. The first lien holders are still in the first lien position, so they've got their security there. But the bondholders now would be, would be, the, uh, would be the equity players. And to Jerry's point, David's going to try and talk them into letting him continue to run the operation, and maybe he will. He certainly is going to be wiped out. All of his equity and his family's equity is going to be wiped out if he hasn't already sold it. So yeah, yeah. Well, I feel and I feel for the for the people in this you know in the local markets. They are at the tail of this dragon snap snapping its tail around you know in the in the death throes. And what are they supposed to do? They're just they're just got to go out and sell spots and sell digital and and put That's on right. concert events and put a happy face on this pig and just like. Okay, nothing's wrong. We're still doing it. We're still we're still doing great radio. You know, it's so hard. You and I have both in that been in that position where, you know, we have to put a lipstick on a pig and make everybody feel like it's going to be okay, both your employees and your advertisers. And you know, I just I just feel for the for the people that are out on the line, you know, representing the company, you know. And, it is soul-sucking. It it is. And yes. and I and I think not only the people on the line, I think it's soul-sucking for the whole executive staff. I I really got to hand it to David Field for continuing to hang in there because he's he's been doing this for he's been battling this since he bought CBS and it just it's I'm sure it stopped being fun a long time ago. A long but, time ago, yeah. But let's not count him out. Uh, you remember when Emmis was on the ropes and Jeff Smullyan managed to save the company? Now he did some pretty radical things, including yeah. borrowing money from family and you know just he he kept Emmis alive until they could make a comeback. And we have an election coming up in 2024 which Odyssey could capitalize on, and they may give them just enough breathing room to keep this, this company alive for a while. So, Well, yeah, and, and it was fun hearing uh, Jeff Smolian tell those stories. But like I said, timing has a lot to do with the outcome of a rain dance. So, you know, <laughs> Jeff's timing and where we were in the world was really good. And that's been, what, that's been Jeff's, you know, great sense, sixth sense, is that he, he, he seemed to time things really well. He really and, did. And it's a little bit tougher, and I'm, you know, for guys like for David Field to, to hang tough and try to make a go of it because um, it's 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 not going to be fun. All right, I got a I got a quick okay. quote to read here. Since you came up with a good quote, uh, this is from a guy who's I just I love his name. His name is Rashad Tabakawala. Tabakawala. Okay, I just love the name. But his his quote is, "The future does not fit in the containers of the past." 
And I thought that was kind of an appropriate transition to our proposed legislation that's in Congress right now that would require AM radios in all new cars. Right. And right, right. Uh, this this is a bipartisan proposal. It's called the AM for Every Vehicle Act. I don't know where they go. It's, uh, what can I say? And, you know, you and I both know that manufacturers are phasing out AM radio on electric cars in particular because the electric motors create so much interference for AM radios. Does your new BMW have an AM radio? It does. It does. Okay. Yep. So, but they're going to phase them out as they become more electric and more hybrid, those those kind of things. And the legislation, in addition to requiring that all AM radios, all new cars have AM radios, they also have to be free. So the manufacturers can't charge <laughs> for them. And they can't charge a subscription service to activate your AM radio. Mm. And, you know, some people I've heard, some people, and I go, you've got to be kidding me. On the right, they insist that this is a direct attack on conservative talk radio because that is where most conservative talk resides right now is on AM mm. radio. But, you know, it's just a crazy. It's a crazy, wackadoodle thing. So my question to you, do you think this is a good idea? Is this good legislation or not? I don't think it's good to legislate this. I, I think it's good to come down on the side of what the market wants and what the market is driving. I do think, however, that I do think this is manufacturer-driven, and I think it's um, uh, people making these decisions at manufacturers, because like Ford dropped it from its electric uh, F-150, the, uh, the the piece of shit electric truck they're doing that gets you know fifty mile range when you put a couple of sandbags in the back of the truck, the, the one that they can't sell that one, right? Uh, you right. know, there's a lot of decisions about what cars are being manufactured being driven by the EPA and the federal government. Okay, so the car business is kind of a de facto arm of the federal government currently. So it's a, it's a, it's this is just one of those trends where they're going. You know what? We don't, you know, it's it's a big problem. Nobody listens. I mean, none of the millennials working at Ford listen to AM radio. They're not listening to, you know, WJR in New York. You know, they're not. They're listening to, they're streaming. It's all streaming driven. It's all maybe a little FM driven. No one really cares about terrestrial radio that's making these decisions. Now, the AM, all the, all the radio groups are running promos on their stations now. I hear them all the time. Uh, you know, on, particularly on AM stations in LA, here's the number. You know, the text your lawmakers, text this number, demanding your you get to keep your AM stations, and that seems to be working because people are go old, old guys like me are going holy. Oh, what do you mean? I can't listen to KFI or KNX or you know KABC or you know where am I going to listen to you know all this stuff? Um, and by the way, what's getting in the bandwagon now is that oh my gosh. There's a lot of uh, minority programmed radio stations that are on the AM dial. So they have gotten into the act, too. So this has now become kind of like, well, what happens to all the Hispanic stations that are AM only? What happens to all the African-American black stations that are AM only? You know, it's like, OMG, maybe we need to rethink this because, you know, so so it's, it's gone from who listens to AM to now going, wait a minute, I guess not only do a lot of people listen, but there's a lot of diverse voices on AM that need to be, and not just black and Spanish, it's what about Korean, what about uh, Asian, yeah, a, you Asian. Know, all these sub-Asian stations that are, that are you know, in LA, it's, a, it's the AM dial is a, 
is a real melting pot of minority of minority. Uh, you know, I shouldn't say minority. I should say uh, of all sorts of different nationality being programmed to. It's it, it's it's an interesting dilemma. I don't want the legislation to happen. I wish we could force the manufacturers to just suck it up and keep putting a radio dial in there. So I guess what I'm saying, Jackson, if the if the manufacturers are going to abandon and they want to abandon all radio, they don't want to have any radio on there. They don't want an FM dial either. They don't want any radio. It's all streaming. They want you to be. They want you to go through their dashboard and use their their service, whether it's AirPlay or whatever you know a manufacturer wants to do. I get it. They don't want any radio. So if anybody thinks that they're they're they just are against AM, no, they're against all radio, in my opinion. And so if we need to save radio in the cars, then I've, maybe it's legislation that needs to do it because there'll be a save FM in two years. In two years, yeah, I think that's I think that's really true. I don't know. I'm, I'm with, I tend to be with you in terms of uh, you know let the marketplace decide. On the other hand, you bring up a great point. You know, from a political standpoint, you've got all of these minority programmed radio stations. You've got conservative talk programmed radio stations, yep. which have a big constituency. And so maybe it's more political than it is the physics of the noise that uh, is supposedly generated. I think the other thing I, I always think is a better workaround might be to figure out how to. Uh, get all AM stations an FM signal or translator or this new hybrid that's coming along. That's going to make a big difference. Mm-hmm. I just think uh, at the end of the day, I tend to agree with you, let the marketplace decide, but it probably won't. I don't know. It'll be a while. I think that's going to be, I think they'll fight that for a couple of years. Yeah. Well, and we're already seeing the marketplace speak with a lot of the major AM stations in major markets anyway, simulcasting on an, on an FM. The, ba- the big groups FM. are taking a low a low performing FM and they're putting their best performing AM station on it like KNX at 10:70 AM here in LA is now KNX set 97.1 FM. They don't even ID the AM frequency anymore. <clears throat> right. So they they're migrating to FM and I think this is part of it, but you can't migrate all of them. You know, there's just not enough FMs to migrate all these AMs there. And, no, but uh, most most of most of the big big gun stations, KSL and Salt Lake and WGN in Chicago, they've they've all got an FM signal at some point. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, we'll we'll uh, keep an eye on that. It's um, it always is uh, interesting. It's got nothing to do with the technology, much more to do with the politics. Now, speaking of Salt <laughs> Lake, didn't you have a, a little note that you wanted to close the show with about uh, a famous news personality in in uh, Salt Lake City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dick uh, Norris died last week, and Dick Norris was the longest-running anchor in the country. I think he was on the air for 44 years. And I got to know him a bit, not real well, but I got to know him a bit. We uh, sold at, I sold at a competitive TV station, the NBC affiliate. He was on the CBS affiliate. But uh, he co-anchored for years with my first wife, so I got to know him through that relationship. And mm-hmm. wonderful guy. Absolutely loved him, loved in the community. He was so loved in the community when he came down with cancer the NBC affiliate that I work for did a special on him, Dick Norris, the anchor on the CBS affiliate, believe that or not, and his struggle with cancer. And he was beloved by everyone in the market. So I was sad to hear of his, his, his death here last week. But even more so, Keith, I think the thing that uh, struck me is the days of a big anchor actually having an impact on a market are long gone. When Dick Norris was on the air, he'd do somewhere between an 18 and a 22 rating, rating wow. on the late wow. news. So, so just just for those who who don't know, that means 22 percent of the whole market watched his newscast every night. 
22 percent so then today you know if a if a late news gets a 0.5 or 0.8 they think they're doing pretty well so it uh dick dick was um dick was a wonderful guy and uh you know god bless him but it also was a passing of this phase in our industry and in our business never be the same again so old guys like us can't sit around and go boy i remember the old days because that doesn't do any good nobody gives a damn no, nobody cares. But it is interesting to compare. And, you know, we all grew up with famous anchors, famous news anchors, and because that was the only place you could get your news. And in a marketplace like Salt Lake, which is somewhat isolated, I mean, you know, you're kind of out there in the middle of the, on the side of the Wasatch Range, and you've got the in the Salt Basin, Lake. That's right. You know, it, it's just, it's just, you know, your own, your own market. And, uh, and you had feeder markets that, that picked up your stations, so, you know, up north to Logan and south to St. George and you know, it was a it was an important part of the life of uh, of that part of the country, and and um, you know, I'm sure Dick was a big, big, you had a big impact on uh, how people saw the world. He did, he did, and he was very, uh, very Walter Cronkite style. This mm. is the news. He had a big voice. He was a big guy, handsome guy, just uh, just wonderful, just the quintessential anchor, quintessential yeah. anchor. So, yeah. rest in peace, Prayers Dick. Up. And yeah, uh, that's it. Go. We got to get out of here. We're uh, again over time. You know, we just keep talking. And so let's shut up and remind everybody that you can find this podcast on any platform, any podcast platform. The videos, should you want to watch the videos, are on the Media Insultant Showcase at Vimeo. We drop a new Tuesday, a new show each Wednesday. And uh, we'll do this again next week. And I hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend. Welcome to summer. And Keith, I'll see you next week, buddy. I'll see you next month. <laughs>